This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control podcast episode number 56. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Uh, Kyler, thanks for being here as always. Thanks for having me. So we've got a great show for you today. We've got uh, a few different segments we'll cover today. Um, we're going to dive into a few things, but before I get to the agenda for today's episode, just a reminder that we have new episodes of this show. Every Wednesday, you can find us uh, with new episodes on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, Facebook. And you can also find us on all the audio podcast platforms as well. So be sure to subscribe to us on Amazon, Google, um, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcast, be sure to subscribe to us there. Um, and good episode for you today. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. We're going to start off talking about some hot topics, including the rise of the independent cloud. We're going to talk about how technology is reducing or helping optimize food waste. I guess you don't really optimize food waste. You try to, you try to yeah, minimize. Yeah, I'm going to teach you how. Okay. So it is optimizing. All right. So we're, we're going to talk about how to optimize food waste with technology, the pains of digital transformation, as well as how technology and digital transformations are being used to optimize the guest experience in the hospitality industry. Um, so that'll be the hot topics we cover at the top of the, the episode here. And then we're also going to get into a Q&A discussion. We, we uh, last week had our, or actually a couple weeks ago, had our uh, Digital Stratosphere event or Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event, uh, three-day sessions, which by the way, if you missed it, Go to stratosphere2022.com. You can register to download and just watch all the stuff you missed for free. Uh, be sure to check that out. Tons of great content, a lot of diverse speakers, different topics. We covered all things related to digital transformation. You can find that at stratosphere2022.com. And we're going to actually take some of the questions that we got from that event. And Kyle and I are going to unpack and kind of go through some of those questions. Some of them we covered in the event itself live. Others we didn't. And uh, we're also taking... Uh, questions from the audience for this podcast as well. So we'll, we'll kind of talk through that later today. And then finally, we're going to play you a clip from that Stratosphere event. Uh, it was actually uh, the first session I gave at the Stratosphere event, which was an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. And that's meant to be sort of a summary for people that are just trying to learn about how to get their heads around digital transformation. It's meant for executive teams who maybe don't necessarily understand what it takes or what it's going to take to make the project successful. It's meant to be that sort of high-level flyover view. So a great, a great uh, session for uh, anyone that's about to go on a or embark on a digital transformation. So we'll play that clip for you from the uh, from the actual event here in the third part of our podcast here today. But before we get to all that stuff, uh, let's talk about some of these hot topics you've got lined up for us here today, Kyler. Yeah. So I want to start with food waste. I felt like it was very interesting, this study from the United Nations Environment Food Waste Index of 2021. Um, it talked about how 17% of global food production was wasted, and that's 61% from households, 26% from food services, 
and 13% from retail. And just to kind of give you an idea of what sort of lost revenue that is, basically that amounts to about 400 billion with a B, which is roughly the GDP of Austria, just so you're aware. Um, but it also obviously is an environmental factor for a lot of different um, countries as well, including here in the States where we have a large agriculture footprint and industry. So what people have done or businesses have done is really to optimize the overall supply chain of the food industry. And the pandemic really increased urgency around that. We know that the supply chain has really suffered through the pandemic. And you can only imagine that perishable goods, right? You know, they don't have as long as a shelf life. So that sort of industry really took a hit. Right. So basically, consumers have become, you know, increasingly aware of this. And businesses have started to commit to stopping food waste, even big businesses like Walmart, um, and then leveraging emerging technologies like IoT and blockchain to be able to take that data and understand what the food farm to table journey looks like. So a few things I wanted to share is um, a San Francisco based startup. It, it uses blockchain to create kind of a digital bridge between farmers, processors, traders, restaurants and grocers, all of the people impacted by that from the farm to fork journey like we kind of talked about. And I wanted to get your feedback on just kind of working with our clients in the agriculture industry and understanding kind of how they've evolved through um, just tracking their own supply chain and kind of their, their distribution process to see if that emerging technologies of using those predictive analytics to see the shelf time and then those sensors too in the kind of the distribution trucks. So, hey, this, you know, strawberries are, are not cold enough, they need to be colder, and then an AI system can turn up the air conditioning. Um, so, you know, just your your baseline level of emerging technologies, I just love your feedback on kind of how you foresee that going for the agriculture industry in particular. Well, I love the idea, partly because uh, my wife and kids need to hear this uh, part of the podcast because they throw away a lot of food and it drives me insane. I didn't grow up with much money as a kid, so I'm just used to not wasting much at all. So to see my wife go to the fridge and just pull stuff out and start tossing stuff really stresses me out. But I, I, we're not here to share our personal baggage, um, or maybe we are. Apparently, I am. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, to answer your question though, as far as uh, you know, how you track all that, I think the you, you're hitting on some really interesting trends in the space, and and also a use case of how. Um, two types of technologies can be used to automate or, or to improve a, an organization. One is that when you talk about the sensors and sort of tracking each step in the process, um, you're, you're sort of hitting on the whole industry 4.0 internet of things sort of a phenomena that's happening in, in the marketplace. And I think food um, manufacturing and distribution is a great early adopter of that sort of technology because they have so much to gain or lose by, by get, getting that stuff right. So I think that's a an interesting uh, emerging technology that you touched on. And then the other thing you touched on is the uh, blockchain concept. So, you know, blockchain has a lot of hype right now, especially as it relates to cryptocurrency, but we still don't see a lot of enterprises that are adopting blockchain in any meaningful way, except for food manufacturers. That seems to be just a, a sweet spot or low hanging fruit, uh, pardon the pun, uh, for, for a use of 
of blockchain because it's all about traceability. It's all about tracking steps in the process and, and having that data flow throughout the whole supply chain. So I think it's a great uh, it's a great place to start in food and beverage um, as early adopters of some of these different technologies. Absolutely. I, I like how it spans the whole kind of gamut as well to, you know, you talk about emerging technologies, then you talk about packaging and how can you optimize those innovations to make sure that the packaging stays fresh, they're using, you know, better compostable materials, those types of things. And then they also talk, uh, you know, just about the redistribution of food before it goes to waste. So maybe you do have a broken supply chain or an issue within, you know, the European market and making sure that if those are going to Spain and they're, you know, more in Northern Europe, is there a different route they could take to make sure that those are, are better optimized? So just definitely a really interesting kind of emerging technology and a, a great kind of case study for an industry to really, you know, absorb and leverage those new technology options. Yeah, agreed. And, and on that kind of new emerging experience, especially from the pandemic, I had done some research into how digital transformation is just kind of redefining guest experience. And I know we've talked about this in food services. We talked about this in a, in a variety of, of other areas. Um, but I, I wanted to get your feedback on, on some of the research I had done here. It said um, from a recent study, one in three customers will walk away even from a brand they love just after one bad experience with 50% of customers saying that the most that most companies need to improve their customer experience with digital technologies. Um, and I mean, to me, that's, that's a huge number. Over half the overall consumers polled in this global study was saying that guest experience specifically in hospitality need to improve their digital options. So I wondered, since you obviously have worked with some of our hospitality clients, what your reaction was to that? Well, I I, uh, I find it fascinating. I'm surprised that number is that high, but it's very uh, telling, you know, where where hospitality organizations are falling short. But I'd say that it's a good reminder to organizations in all industries to really maybe challenge them to rethink how they're viewing digital technologies. Are they you know, are they able to get out of their own way, for, for lack of a better word, by not getting so bogged down and just trying to automate basic GL and accounting type stuff or basic inventory management stuff that doesn't add a lot of value to your to your customers? Or I mean, it could, I guess, inventory management could certainly from a if you're a distributor, for example. But in general, companies and organizations tend to get bogged down by these small back office sorts of details that are big deals to you as an organization, but they don't add any value to the, the customer experience. So I think it's a good reminder that you really want to rethink or maybe revisit why you're doing this project or why you're thinking about doing a digital transformation and uh, make sure you're not losing sight of the arguably the most important part of that, which is your your end customers. Yeah. And, and the interesting part about that is we've kind of talked about the emergence of these best of breed or, or niche industry solutions and hospitality or food and beverage is a great example of those. Um, however, one study was saying that they really desire a, a holistic one channel experience. So when you go to each different location at a, a hospitality, whether it's a restaurant or the spa or anything like that, your guest experience should be optimized on, on kind of one singular process. Um, 
And that was kind of something I found interesting in, in some of their pain points that I was looking at through my research of digital transformation is just for global expansion or rapid deployments or anything else like that, cloud migration. A lot of the calls from industry experts were for more of a, a really streamlined, standardized process. Um, and that's something that we kind of have, have looked away from um, in, in talking about the emergence of that best of breed trend. So I wondered if you um, could give us your reaction to that. And, and you know, do you think that standardization still has a place within these specifically niche businesses that might not look to uh, quote unquote traditional ERP system? They could. I mean, a, a lot of it depends on the, the um, what you're trying to accomplish with your, your transformation. If you're a uh, for example, if you're a mature company and, and uh, your your revenue growth is pretty flat and your cost structure is out of whack or you're trying to optimize your cost structure, then, you know, a standardization approach with a single ERP system and common operating model could be an ideal scenario. But if you're looking more strategically at how do we um, increase revenue and provide a better customer experience and just differentiate ourselves from our competitors, using technology, then a back office ERP system is not going to do that. And certainly a standardized one size fits all model is not going to do that either. So if that's your priority for some of those more customer facing technologies, then it could be that those become more flexible, more nimble. You you need more different scenarios you need to accommodate and standardization might be viewed as a bad thing there. So um, different organizations might come to different answers and different organizations might actually choose both. You might have some processes that are, yeah. we're going to standardize and other processes we're going to retain flexibility and make sure we provide a better customer experience. That's so interesting. And, and it kind of speaks to something we talked a lot about at Digital Stratosphere on not only the, the human side, human behavior and change management, but also on the business process side, which was that cross-functional goal setting and just overall collaboration to make sure whatever technology implementation you were looking to achieve, you couldn't do it without making sure that you're kind of crossing the aisle and understanding um, not only from a process standpoint, but also from a human standpoint, um, different, different departmental approaches. And I think that's very similar to what we're talking about here is, you know, and your answer, you can have flexibility, but you have to have almost an awareness and understanding of those overarching strategic business goals. Yeah, absolutely. And then one one quote I wanted to re read to you for um, our last section here on Hot Topics is, it says, big tech casts a long shadow, but the sun is rising over the independent cloud. I felt as though that was like a little bit of digital transformation poetry, if you will. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. With yeah, right. Um, we're going to invent it. Um, but basically just the rise of independent cloud providers uh, and then just businesses really having the demand for maybe that tier two cloud system where they don't want to go into, you know, a, an Azure or um, a, a AWS, which we know has had some outage issues that we've talked about, or Google. Um, and then I wondered if you thought that would be something that would kind of be like an emerging niche business is almost like a tier two, tier three independent cloud provider. I do. I think there's a big market for it. Um, you know, I think f for right now where the market is, a lot of these big software vendors are creating 
semi-exclusive partnerships with AWS or Azure and companies like that to where they're the, you know, the preferred hosting provider for their solutions. But I think the market's going to demand other options. I don't think you can concentrate that much business and that much risk in two major providers with Azure and uh, AWS. You also have Alibaba and other, you know, other big providers throughout the world beyond those two or three. But in general, I think there's, there's uh, as the technology matures, and, and here's the real kicker, as people realize what the real ongoing costs are of the cloud, they're going to be demanding lower cost options and ways to sort of throttle back or to scale back those costs. So I think that there is a, a big need for that, that market. And I think the independent players in the cloud space are going to do well longer term. Absolutely. Well, that's a, a great segue into our digital stratosphere and specifically your executive summary keynote, which kind of lays out all of the things that need to be considered before going into a digital transformation or in the process of a digital transformation. We had a ton of questions about cloud, um, and I know you kind of touch on that a little bit in this segment, but we also had our great sponsor, Brad Feeks from Estes Group, who his keynote was on the 10th. Again, you can go watch it. But if you have questions about the cloud or cloud migration strategies, there were some great conversations around that. So highly recommend going to check that out as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that is a good segue into uh, some Q&A discussion in some of the questions that came from our Stratosphere event. And we'll also take some live audience questions, too. And then uh, we'll do that uh, real quickly after a break. But then later in the show, we will play you an actual clip or an actual session from Digital Stratosphere, one that I gave uh, that was about an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. We'll play you that full clip here later today or later in this episode, so be sure to stick around for that. But before we come back with a Q&A from the audience here, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event it's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler. We're chatting through our some content from our Digital Stratosphere event that we recently held. Um, later in the show, we're going to be playing an actual session from that event that we held recently. But before we do that, we wanted to jump in and, and talk about some uh, questions and answers that we received during 
the actual event and also take some some questions from the audience. So we thought it'd be a great way to just sort of unpack some of the general questions that people and organizations have about digital transformations and best practices in general and what are some of the things they should be thinking about and some of the people process technology and strategy aspects of their change initiatives. So uh, with that being said, uh, what we thought we'd do is, is sort of jump in and talk through some of those questions and answers or, or questions we received from the Stratosphere event a few weeks ago. So to start, Kyler, what are um, what are some of the themes of questions or what, what sorts of questions or how would you summarize the, the sorts of questions that we, we got throughout the, the three-day event recently? Yeah, absolutely. So we kicked off the event with a keynote from Eric that talked about digital transformation in the 2020s and kind of future trends. And I thought it might be interesting to not only get your feedback, Eric, but also our audience's feedback, because we got a lot of questions just about what is the definition of digital transformation? And I think that's a really interesting question, just because it's such a hot buzzword in the industry that I thought it might be interesting to read some of our audience answers and then also your answer as well. So let's let's hear what you think digital transformation is um, and if you can kind of unpack that very hot trend term for us. Yeah, it was a good question. We did get that several times or different variations of that question uh, during the event. And it's always interesting because we use that term so often and we almost take it for granted or I, I take it for granted at times that, that people understand what that means. But it it is such a broad and such a vague nebulous term that it is worth unpacking a bit. Uh, but generally the way I describe it in, in its simplest terms is digital transformation is the use of any sort of technology and process improvements to um, improve your business. And it's intentionally open-ended and non-technology specific because some organizations might be looking for an ERP enterprise-wide sort of technology. Others might be looking for Salesforce automation with CRM products or tools. Others might be looking at human capital management or supply chain management or some combination of all the above or other parts of the business. So it really is, you know, looking at different types of technologies and not just, you know, not just your sort of typical commercial off the shelf technologies, which is commonly where a lot of organizations gravitate toward, but there's also other stuff too. You know, you've got robotics and robotic process automation and business intelligence and even custom developed solutions. I mean, there's a lot of different directions that you can go with digital transformation, which is part of what makes it so exciting and cool, but it's also can be very overwhelming to just figure out what direction do we do, assuming that we can't leverage every sort of technology that's out there, nor, nor should we. So that in its simplest terms, that's how I describe digital transformation. But again, also be curious to hear what the audience thinks as well. Yeah, actually, Dan on LinkedIn said, what do you mean by transformation? And if this word is not accurate, what would be a better term? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, because, um, you know, I guess the first question you have to ask yourself is, you know, is this really a true transformation or is this more of a technical upgrade project? Um, or, you know, maybe even a better way to think about it is, is think of it, thinking of it on a spectrum you know, if you have sort of, you know, on one side of the spectrum is your simpler, not simple, but simpler um, technology upgrades, more incremental improvements to your processes, incremental changes to people's jobs. And then you've got full blown business transformation, which, you know, typically is going to deliver more, potentially more business value, but it's also entailing more risk, more cost, more time to get there. And so I think more than anything, 
whether or not one answer or one stream or somewhere in between is right or wrong for you is dependent on who you are as an organization and what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, for some organizations that are really trying to swing for the fences or really trying to take those quantum leap improvements to their businesses, it may make perfect sense to go with a full-blown digital transformation for more risk-adverse organizations that have already invested fairly heavily in technology over the years, maybe a more incremental approach is, is more appropriate. And, you know, most organizations fit somewhere in between. So I think that's more than anything, just getting alignment um, on what your goals and objectives of the transformation are with the overall goals and objectives of the, the business. That's probably the most important thing. Absolutely. And I know a lot of times the team here at Third Stage actually uses the term business transformation just to make sure that our client community is clear that it really needs to be a business strategic decision when you go through any sort of technology implementation, upgrade, um, organizational change type of strategies. Um, so that I know that's a term that we use a lot. And then we also got the question, Eric, what is the difference between digital transformation and dis digitization? Um, in as well. And I think that's an, an interesting um, question as well, because a lot of it has to do with the strategic goals of the organization, as opposed to just digital-based strategies. Yeah, it, I think it's back to the whole incremental versus full-blown transformation um, mindset. You know, digitization is generally viewed as more, you know, we're automating things that are heavily manual or, or siloed right now. So it's meant to maybe be more of a pro or a more of a reactive fix to certain solutions or, or, or certain issues or technical debts that your organization has. So it's more of a, you know, sort of that more incremental mindset of just let's just automate what we're already doing or some of those manual processes. Whereas digital transformation, typically what comes to mind is more of a uh, proactive rather than a reactive, a proactive, more strategic um, thinking forward sort of approach to a technology and process and people um, sort of sort of change the business. So I think um, that's the way I would define it is, you know, are you going out there and trying to find, um, you know, strategic technologies that are really going to give you a leg up in the marketplace or really um, take your organization to the next level? Or are you just maybe doing something a little bit more fundamental, which is let's just get our, our processes off of paper and pen or off of the spreadsheets or whatever and get it into a system. Um, those are just two different mindsets. And then, you know, the other part of that is, is different parts of your, your business might have different answers. There might be part of your business, parts of your business where you're taking more of a, a proactive digital transformation, strategic sort of approach. And there might be other parts of your business that are going to be more digitized, where digitized, oh boy. <laughs> we should just delete that word from, if we could all just vote to not use that word. Just because it's the hardest to say, especially when you're in a, a live environment, because there's a lot of anxiety of like, am I going to say it right? But yes, um, and I have and I have a way of making it sound very difficult to pronounce, <laughs> which it really shouldn't be that difficult. No, um, I so, with it too, absolutely. So different, yeah, different parts of the business might have different answers, and certainly different organizations um, are going to have different answers as to which which is the right path for them. Absolutely, and I, I really like this question because it goes into a ton of content we got. Um, specifically around uh, the cloud and what those migration strategies look like or just the overall functionality and capabilities of cloud solutions. So Patrick on LinkedIn asked, how do you stop a digital transformation become, from becoming lift and shift, which is 
which can still be tr strategic, but not transformational. Um, and I like that, that term because it not only alludes to the lift and shift of the cloud, right, but just the overall holistic view of just moving a technology or a process to a different place instead of really optimi optimizing, sorry, it's, it's early here in the United States, um, optimizing your processes and really finding and kind of mining those processes that could essentially be a better benefit to your business. Well, I guess I'd say, you know, my knee-jerk reaction to that is, first of all, um, we have to be careful with the term lift and shift. I, to me, that's always been a bit misleading because it's it's a another industry term that's meant to suggest that it's going to be easier than it really is. Even if really what you're doing is upgrading to a new technology or, or migrating existing processes and technical capabilities to the cloud, lift and shift sounds good. I mean, it sounds like that's simple enough and it's not going to be that complex, but lift and shifts actually are fairly complex, especially when you're moving from on-prem to the cloud. Um, it's just different competencies, different technical capabilities, different processes, um, et cetera. So I think that's the first thing is just to be, you have to be careful or recognize what that term shift really means. But to the to Patrick's point on LinkedIn, um, you know, I think the key here, the way I would view the difference between sort of that lift and shift mentality to more of a uh, transformational approach would be, you know, what are you leading with? Are you leading with a technical problem? So in other words, I've got outdated technology and I need to update that technology or move to the cloud for whatever reason, um, that might be more of that lift and shift mentality. Um, or am I really looking to rethink my business processes and re-engineer my processes and then figure out how technology might fit within that equation? That typically is gonna be viewed as a more strategic or transformational approach. So I think a lot of it depends on what you lead with. Are you leading with technology in a, in a relatively um, simple and more straightforward upgrade path or just technology improvement? Or am I trying to improve my business processes, uh, change the way I do business, change roles and responsibilities? Maybe I'm moving to a shared service model. Maybe I'm consolidating parts of the organization or consolidating and standardizing business processes. If that's the case, then you would want to lead with your business processes and your organizational pieces and then let the technology sort of fall behind that or support that. Absolutely. And I highly recommend um, Brad Beeks from the Estes Group. His session was on the 10th and just a logistic reminder for all of our audience watching right now, you can still watch all of the recordings live by going to stratosphere2022.com um, and they're all available for you there for free. So definitely check that out if that's something that you're interested in cloud specifically. Um, I will kind of shift to our um, business intelligence panel, which featured Brian Lakaruba and Teresa Richardson. And on kind of this, this business intelligence or, or BPM, if you will, model, we talked a lot and had a lot of audience questions about when should you be mapping out your process when it comes to thinking or considering a newer technology. So I wondered if you might speak to that a little bit, Eric. Yeah. So I, I think it's, first of all, important to recognize that it's a iterative process, the whole business process improvement or business process management work stream generally is going to be iterative. So generally you would start with um, sort of your macro processes and work your way down to eventually to where you're getting to the, the detailed transactional workflows in terms of what buttons you press, what screens you use, you know, within the, uh, the system or systems you might be using. So it is an iterative process, but generally when you're starting a project, whether it's during the software evaluation phase and or in the early stages of implementation, 
um, you want to you want to have a clear vision of what you want your processes to be. And a lot of organizations make the mistake of just deferring to the technology because the technology has best practices or the technology has standard workflows. Mm -hmm. The reality is today's technology is really flexible. Uh, the simplest workflows have multiple ways you can do things or set them up with with basic configuration. So it's a little misleading, you know, when vendors say that we've got best practices in our technology because you still have to know what you want to be when you grow up and you have to let that be your defining factors in terms of how you design and deploy technology. So what I generally recommend or what we generally recommend to our clients as a team is that when you're starting a project, ideally during your selection phase, you would define your end-to-end -end business processes in, in the future state, not to the degree where it's dependent on technology because you don't know what the technology is going to be yet necessarily. So we want to do it more from an agnostic, you know, this is just how we need to run our business. This is how information needs to flow. This is what we expect people to do within the processes and then translate that into business requirements that can then be used to evaluate technology and ultimately the requirements traceability that comes with that when you deploy the technology. So in a perfect world, which isn't always perfect, you know, you'd want to do those that as much of that business process work upfront as you can. And then when you get into the implementation, into the design phase of deploying whatever technologies you're deploying, then you get into more details of, okay, now let's figure out within the parameters of these high level processes we've already defined. Now let's work with the system integrator or the software vendor to determine what our transactional business processes are going to look like. So getting down into that level, you know, that detail level of, de of detail. So that's the way I would suggest it is it's iterative, but you do want to do more upfront than you might be thinking. Um, just because it does give you a lot more direction on not only evaluating and finding the right technologies to best fit your needs, but also it just gives you a, a, a clearer framework and a clearer blueprint for how you deploy the technologies later on. If you don't do that business process work up front, or at least a good chunk of that business process work up front, what ends up happening is you go to deploy the technology and you either pave the cow paths and just do things the way you've always done things because it's the path of least resistance. Um, or the system integrator just decides for you how the software is going to be set up because you have no idea how you want the processes to look. Um, and or you you see that the project spirals out of control in terms of cost and time because you spend your time on the clock. You know, while the meter is running on the project, you're trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. And that gets really expensive really fast. And that creates delays. It creates budget overruns and all that sort of thing. So for all those reasons, you know, that's that's the case for why you want to define as much of those business processes as you can up front. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll get to more questions here when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. And we're here taking some questions from the audience and from 
our previous uh, Stratosphere event that we hosted recently and just covering some general topics as the audience sees fit. So let's jump back to the conversation. And what about establishing uh, KPIs or business value? We had a lot of questions about, okay, so I know how to optimize my process. I've selected a technology that I feel like, you know, matches those overall strategies. How do I make sure that I'm measuring or even checking in on project health checks to see that I'm achieving that business value of this investment? Well, I think the first thing is is just recognizing that you do need to define those measures. And so just the fact that that question came up was refreshing because a lot of times we have to right. sort of uh, not force the issue, but, you know, you, you have to sort of educate clients and try to nudge them towards, you know, maybe you should think about some metrics in terms of what's important to you and how you're going to gauge success with this project. Um, what I'll say as a caveat before I answer the real question is that, which I'm really good at deflecting and answering what I want to answer first, then I'll answer your we question. Go into politics. No, we don't talk, we don't talk about politics. <laughs> yeah, this is the non, the non-political show right. for sure. Um, you know, but what I was going to say is that, uh, you know, if, if, um, now, now I totally forgot what we were talking about. What, <laughs> after all that, what was the question business again? Value. You're talking about business, business value, value, KPIs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so the trap that you have to watch that we see a lot nowadays because of this this sort of uh, uh, forced migration to the cloud. You know, whether it's because because it's opportunistic and you want to move to the cloud, or the vendor is forcing you to move to the cloud, which is the more common scenario. So you have a lot of these organizations that are sort of being forced into these upgrades of sorts. And a lot of times organizations and leadership and the project team sort of stop there and they say, that's our business case right there. The fact that we have to do something, we have to move to the cloud or we have to upgrade our technology because it's being sunset or, you know, it's no longer being supported. That might be the reason why, you know, the burning platform for change exists, but you need more than that. You need those metrics to define, you know, something beyond just get off the old system. And that's, it, it sounds real simple and basic, but so many organizations we work with come in with a mindset of, hey, we don't need a business case. We just need to upgrade our technology because we have no choice. If you don't have a business case, what ends up happening is you um, end up, first of all, not delivering the value you expect or that you would want. Uh, you don't get the ROI that you should be getting because you haven't defined metrics. You don't have that sort of clear vision of what you want to get out of the transformation at the other side. And it also makes the implementation more difficult because it, it you don't have that sort of uh guiding light or that North Star to direct you when it comes to tough decisions around, do we customize the software? Do we change our processes? Um, do we do we take that? Um, do we take that big risk organizationally to change people's jobs? And, you know, if we don't have a clear business case and clear metrics, you make those decisions in a vacuum or in isolation without consideration of what what's the business case say? You know, if the business case can justify customizing software, maybe you do it because you get so much business value out of it, even though it adds to the cost, it adds to the risk, but you can justify it with the business value because you've defined the metrics. If you don't have that, what ends up happening is you have no quantitative measures in place and it ends up being very political, speaking of politics, it becomes very political internally and or personal. And so it becomes more of a philosophical debate that oftentimes doesn't end well. Um, but with the business case, it sort of, it, it, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes the politics out of it and it focuses on the business results. So I think those are some of the reasons why it's so important. But as far as, you know, how you define it, I, th- I think the, the place that we typically start with our clients is look at, look at your corporate or organizational goals and objectives at the, at the highest level, the strategic goals and objectives, then translate that into how is this project 
how is this transformation going to support those goals and objectives? And what are the specific measures related to this project that, that can support that? So, you know, it could be efficiency based metrics. It could be revenue increase. It could be, you know, increased customer satisfaction, reducing inventory, increasing inventory turns, whatever the, whatever the case may be. Absolutely. And um, just to take a quick little lens of all of our listeners today, we've got a, a huge global audience here. So Algeria, e Egypt, um, UK, where apparently it's rainy. So sorry about that, Malcolm. Um, and then we have a, a few others here from joining us from India. So, you know, just a snapshot of kind of the global audience we have. And I just would like to say that we had um, a great kind of global sphere of speakers as well. Um, and we'll talk about that just in a, a little bit. But going on the process side, we did have our um, head of our APAC region, which is um, Wayne Holtham, talk about process mining. So he showed us kind of a glimpse into actually utilizing and leveraging technology to find out from your business where there's optimiz optimization opportunities. So if you are interested in that, I highly recommend his talk as well, um, especially for our APAC audience. Um, so I want to address some of Dan's questions, great questions over here, Dan. And um, I'm going to start with the, the organizational side. I thought it was very interesting that during a lot of our business process conversations, we had a lot of questions regarding emerging technologies, automations, predictive analytics, machine learning, and what the people side of that kind of looks like. So if you are considering integrating one of these new technologies, understanding how it's going to change the roles of the uh, resources or, or people within your organization. And one of the questions that really stuck out to me was, what if their job is moving to kind of a harder job as opposed to something that they were used to doing? So I wondered if you might address that, because I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about that transition um, before. Yeah, it's a it's a intuitive question. It's, it's good good perception on that because it is true that you know we all would like to think that you deploy new technologies and process improvements and everyone's job gets easier. Everyone loves it. Everyone's happy. Everyone's everyone everything's great or everything is awesome, as they say in the the Lego movie uh, that my kids used to love uh, before they became teenagers. Um, but the, the the general um, the the general idea here though is is that you know you want to be first of all define what the impacts are to everyone's jobs because there are going to be cases where it does improve a job it makes their jobs and lives easier but there are going to be some cases where it's going to make it more difficult and the, the most common examples are cases where you are automating a process to the extent that now you're expecting people to enter data into a system whereas maybe they didn't have to before maybe they just relied on pen and paper or excel spreadsheet or what was in their heads or whatever that, that tribal knowledge and that sort of thing. Now you're saying, hey, you need to capture this or conduct more business process workflows within a, a technology. So that can be perceived as a negative because now you're giving me an extra step in my process. I used to be able to just think through my, in my head what I'm going to do next or whatever. But now you're telling me I've got to put it in this system and that adds steps, it adds time or whatever. Um, a common example where we see this more often than not is, is like in the sales group or a customer service. A lot of times sales and customer service are impacted in that way. Because now, you know, in the in the spirit of capturing more data and be able to support analytics and big data and business intelligence and all that stuff, now you're expecting sales and customer service people to capture more information about their customer. As an example, well, if I'm a salesperson, that's that's hard for me to adjust because not only because I'm human and I just don't like change, but also because 
there's a perception that, well, I, I'm paid on commission. So you're asking me to do something administrative and you're adding to my overhead burden. It doesn't produce any extra extra commission for me. So that's where the resistance oftentimes comes through so or comes from. So oftentimes what you have to do is, is first of all, define if it's true, you don't want to make this up. But if, if there is a case to be made that actually you can sell more and here's how, you know, with these new tools and these new new processes, then that's the easy answer. Because if you can make it about them and what's in it for me, um, that's always an easier sell. But that's not always the case. There are cases where, hey, this is just making your life more difficult for whatever reason, for better, for worse. Um, so then you have to sort of step back and paint the vision of why we're doing this. We're not doing this to make Kyler's job more difficult or because we, we want Kyler to be frustrated. We're doing it because we need to capture this information and here's how we use it and here's how it helps the organization overall. Usually you can find a way to trace that back to how it helps you as an individual too, which is ideal. Like I said, if you can trace it back to individuals rather than just the organization, um, that, that helps as well. So those are just some, some tips that come to mind as, as it relates to that. Absolutely. And our audience referenced over here kind of the why behind that, um, not only from the processes side, but also from the people side as well. And we had Teresa Richardson, one of our senior managers here, do a great presentation on organizational change management. And she brings an excellent perspective to the table because she is a process analyst. She actually does have kind of that data background. Um, but also really understands the impact and the overall disruption that can happen to the business if organizational change is not considered. So speaking to that, we had a lot of people ask about the board of directors or the executive team and explaining um, the importance of investing in organizational ch change and really showcasing that. That can be a big barrier for a lot of project leads or or sponsors that really have to say like, hey, we have to invest in these organizational change strategies or actually will very much impact our KPIs, whether that's user adoption or what we're looking at as far as um, business value. So I wondered if you could kind of reiterate um, how you might be able to do that and showcase that this is a hard science investment, not just you know high fives and sunshine and rainbows and to steal Teresa's words. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's um, you know well stated in terms of it. It isn't just sunshines and rainbows, and a lot of executives view it that way. Par partially because of the word itself or the term itself is so vague. I mean, organizational change management. If you if you stop to think about it, what does, what does that really mean? Um, and so that's part of why I think people struggle. So I think connecting the dots to your point, connecting the dots between what we're doing in a transformation and how we get business value is there's a there's sort of a, a chasm there you know you've got over here you've got a project you've got a transformation project that has the potential to deliver real business value and really transform and change the way we do business over here you've got sort of the business value these are the metrics or the things that uh, we can achieve with that transformation but it doesn't just happen because you did the project mm -hmm. you've got to connect the dots or sort of enable that with the change management so it really is a way to bridge that chasm or that divide between you know technology project over here business value over here. It doesn't happen with the technology. It doesn't even happen with the business processes where it really happens is with the change management. So if you can quantify a business case and say, yeah, that's the potential, but that's if we invest in organizational change. If we don't invest in organizational change, it's okay to quantify that too. What does that look like in terms of lost business value and or a lot of times what really gets executives attention is operational disruption. Let's talk about what it means if we have a major operational disruption at the time of go live. How big of a deal is that to us? If, if we, let's just say we can't 
we're a manufacturing or distribution organization and we can't ship product for uh, two weeks or six weeks or whatever. What's that? What is that impact to our bottom line? And then you look at that and say, well, that's a likely scenario because we know from research and experience that over half of organizations experience some sort of major operational disruption at the time they go live with new technologies. Most most executives don't like those odds. They don't like those 50-50 coin flip odds that, yeah, we there's a 50-50 chance that we have some sort of major disruption um, and can't ship product and lose millions of dollars of customer orders. That's usually not acceptable to executive teams or it should, it should not be acceptable. Um, and so that's the way you have to look at it is, you know, quantifying it in that way and showing how the project itself um, needs to connect to the business value and change management is typically the way to do that. Absolutely. And, and Eric gave a great keynote um, for our audience that will watch the replays on day two, which was the ninth. Um, he kicked it off with an executive summary of transformation best practices and organizational change was actually the number one um, tactic that he had referenced at the end of his talk. So definitely uh, take some tactics from, from Teresa and Eric as well. Um, I want to shift a little bit to talk about just um, the technology piece of it. So we kind of covered a snapshot of the process, a snapshot of the people, and then just a reminder to our audience, pop any questions um, in your comment section, wherever you're watching YouTube, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, we can see them all right here. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll get to more questions here when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. And we're here taking some questions from the audience and from our previous uh, Stratosphere event that we hosted recently and just covering some general topics as the audience sees fit. So let's jump back to the conversation. So when we talk about the cloud, and that seemed to be something that was, you know, a main theme of our questions here was just when we talk about migrating to the cloud, it seems as though when we're in vendor conversations or anything like that, that's kind of the push to go into make that change to the cloud, even so much so that we see vendors, main vendors, sunsetting systems so they can try and get other users and businesses in the cloud. And, and you've been a, a proponent of the cloud is, is a great emerging technology, but it's not what an on-prem system is. So I wondered if you might give us kind of just some insight of what you talked about when you said you need to consider 
the technology, the capabilities, and then also the budget as well in shifting to a cloud solution. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, cloud is obviously becoming more and more prevalent, uh, more systems and vendors are, are making that shift to the cloud. And, and in many cases, they're limiting the on-premise options that are still available. Um, and in more extreme cases, there's vendors that are pushing their legacy on-premise customers to shift to the cloud or else they'll stop supporting those old uh, on-prem systems. So I guess the first thing I'd say um, that I know the industry doesn't always appreciate me saying, but being technology agnostic and independent and unaffiliated with vendors, I can say this, and that is that it's, you have to look at your business needs and migrate to the cloud if and when it makes sense to you. Um, you can't let software vendors uh, determine that for you. And, and nothing, I, I and when I say nothing, I, I think this is, I've never really thought this through until now, but I, I don't think there's anything that really irritates me more about the industry than this whole cloud migration thing. I mean, the way that vendors are stiff arming their customers into migrating to the cloud and overselling the capabilities of the cloud, it just, it's super irritating and it, it's really destructive um, and, and risky for organizations to be falling for that that um, sales message, hook, line and sinker. Um, so you just have to step back and look at your business, forget the technology, forget what the other vendors want you to do, forget what Gardner and Forrester are telling you should do in terms of, you know, if you're not in the cloud, then you're going to be dead in five years or whatever. You know, I'm exaggerating, but that's sort of the message you oftentimes hear from industry analysts too, who, by the way, are also paid by the software vendors to perpetuate the value of the cloud. Um, so look around you and recognize you're getting biased information. It's a, it's a closed feedback loop between software vendors, system integrators, the industry analysts, they're all telling you the same thing, which is you got to move to the cloud. For, I would just drop, ignore all that. That's just noise. What you have to focus on is your business and what, what your uh, business value is or your business or your value proposition and how technology is going to help that. Um, so back to your uh, real question again, I'm, I'm deflecting a bit, but or venting for a moment on my soapbox, but you have to look at the, the um, you know, where the, the incentives are coming from. And that is the vendors want you to move to the cloud because they make more money. Um, it's more profitable for them. Investors love it. Their stock price does better the more cloud revenue they have. Um, so what you do then is you say, okay, let's just say you're going to move the cloud. You, you recognize the value of it and maybe the vendors are forcing you and you, you feel like it's time to move to the cloud for whatever reason. Um, then you've got to look at, well, um, what am I really getting in the cloud? Because a lot of these legacy systems, especially the ones that were built on-prem, which most technologies that have been around for a while were built on-prem, um, you have to look at, well, what am I what am I really getting with this cloud solution versus what I might have had with an on-premise solution? Because oftentimes there's gaps there. The, the cloud systems that are out there, many of them have not yet made the full leap from the capabilities that they had on-prem because they haven't had 10, 20, or 30 years of R&D behind it like they have with on-prem. So if you're looking at SAP or Oracle or Microsoft or one of those legacy uh, enterprise providers, you just have to recognize that you're probably not going to get as much capability or maturity in the business processes and the general capabilities as you might have had with your on-premise. Now, the long-term potential is there that it, they'll catch up and they're certainly going to introduce new um, capabilities that you can't get with on-prem. So things like Internet of Things and predictive analytics and integration becomes a little bit easier. There's a lot of value in the cloud. I don't want to be dismissive of that. But you also have to recognize the dark side of the cloud. And there is an absolute uh, dark side that many don't want to talk about. So just being going in with your eyes wide open and being objective and taking the, the vendor bias and spin or the industry bias and spin with a grain of salt uh, is really important. Absolutely. And I'll just add that Marcus Harris, who is uh, an attorney, an ERP-focused attorney, from Taft Law, who is also one of our sponsors of the event, 
gave a really interesting talk on digital transformation and contracting. And he referenced the cloud multiple times and just making sure that as a business, you're very clear in your contracting about not only your needs when it comes to software, but also the budgeting when it comes to cloud. Because apparently in his, um, and probably yours too, Eric, experience, it can kind of be sneaky in the contracting phase that it's not clear as to what the business is spending. So he talked a lot about just really investing or, you know, kind of arming yourself with the knowledge of what the cloud actually costs. And I think that's something you've kind of experienced too, right, Eric? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I know in the, in the sessions or one of the sessions that, that I presented at Stratosphere, um, one of the sessions had a question that came up about cloud. We were talking about this whole thread here that we're talking now, which is which is the cost benefit of cloud. And there was a someone from a software vendor on there that was sort of you know chatting in the in the live chat. They're they're commenting on how yeah, but you have to consider you know it may cost you more because you have these ongoing perpetual subscriptions that never go away. By the way, you know on premise you have one big capital cost outlay, but then you have sort of a lower ongoing maintenance cost. Whereas with on or with uh, SaaS or cloud solutions, you generally are going to have just an ongoing um, cost that never goes away and, and continues to, continues to escalate over time. So I was basically saying that after five to seven years, that's generally sort of that break even or that that threshold where it starts to become more expensive for cloud because it's a lot like leasing a car. That payment never goes away. Where if you had bought your car, you know, yeah, it's a, it's more money up front. And yeah, you've got some additional maintenance you've got to do because a car is getting older or whatever. But in general, it's still going to cost you less than, than leasing. So I was making that point in, the, in the, um, the person from the vendor, one of the well-known software vendors was saying, hey, but you've got to consider all the money you save with servers and infrastructure and stuff like that. And that's, that is true. You are saving some money there, but usually that's not even anywhere close to justifying the cost. Now, you might be able to justify the cost in other ways, but you can't go in expecting that you're going to save money on a cloud deployment, because I, I don't know, I mean, I've, I've probably seen it at some point, so I don't want to say I've never seen it, but it's very rare um, if I have seen it where a company actually, at the end of the day, saved money because they went to the cloud. Usually they're paying more, but usually they can justify it with more business value. Um, and they save some money, you know, by not having the infrastructure and the, the servers and all that stuff. But think of how cheap servers are now. It doesn't cost you that much to build an infrastructure. It's complicated. It's, it's annoying. Most organizations don't want to do it anymore, or a lot of them don't want to do it anymore. And they are moving away from that model. But uh, that that cost savings alone generally isn't enough to justify it. So you've got to have a lot, you've got to look at what the business value is. So I think that's an important consideration. Yeah. And to summarize both you and Marcus, I don't think anyone is saying that the cloud is a bad option. It's just the awareness yeah. around what you need as a business and making sure from a contractual and just over a strategic standpoint that you understand um, what that you know overall shift will mean for your business and just understand the lag right between using an on-prem very mature system to moving to a cloud solution that might not be as mature at this point um, as we all know it takes time to build out those capabilities yeah and then when it, it comes, I want to touch on just, uh, I'm shifting a little bit here just because of our audience. We've got a, a lot of people joining from Africa. And I just want to touch on kind of the opening of the third stage Africa office, as well as um, the emerging technologies keynote that Clifford um, Martin did 
from our Africa office, who's based in Cape Town, and just talking about the challenges within that marketplace of finding resources. A lot of times we see in emerging markets, finding the right SIs, finding the right vendors, even the right consultants that are able to understand the complexities of newer markets that might not have things like a lot of connectivity. So I thought I thought I might just ask for our viewers here if you could summarize some of the tactics that the Third Stage Africa team, as well as our global team, utilize in emerging markets to help find the right technology and then also understand what that might mean from a resourcing standpoint. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's, it's an important consideration you know, just to recognize that throughout the world, no matter what part of the world you're in, whether it's, you know, where we're at in the United States or Europe, Africa, Asia Pacific, Latin America, Middle East, wherever it is, you, you want to recognize and, and assess not just functional capabilities of the technology, but what is that sort of ecosystem that's there to support you regionally or locally. And, uh, you know, you've got varying uh, inconsistency, I'd say, in terms of how different software vendors and their ecosystems um, are supported in those different regions. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, you look at a product like, uh, there's some products like um, IFS or Odoo. Their two software vendors are pretty common in Europe, but when you get outside of Europe, in those two cases with IFS and Odoo, even in North America, you don't have as many resources available and there's not as strong of an ecosystem built in North America and other parts of the world as you might see in Europe. So that's the kind of thing you have to think about. And, and even if one of those products is a great fit for you, but the ecosystem is, isn't as strong where you're at, you just have to be aware of it. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. You, you don't deploy that technology. It may mean that you've got to figure out, um, you know, factor in the fact that you might need international resources or it might take you longer to deploy the technology because there's not as many resources available or it might cost you a little bit more. Whatever the case may be, you just want to have a good understanding of what that, you know, overall strategy and related costs are. Um, but just understanding, you know, not just the software capabilities, how many organizations in your part of the world are using it, but also how many consultants are there that use it? Is it hard to find consultants that are specialists in that area or system integrators or VARs? Um, or are you going to have to look overseas, which isn't the end of the world, but you do want to be aware of that before you make your decisions. Absolutely. And I highly recommend if you are um, in the Africa market to check out that keynote from Clifford and Adam. Um, which happened on the 8th. And ironically, during that session, my internet went out when we were talking about connectivity in Africa. So it's a challenge for everyone everywhere. <laughs> right, it doesn't matter what you Irony of the entire situation. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll get to more questions here when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. And we're here taking some questions from the audience and from our previous uh, Stratosphere event that we hosted recently and just covering some general topics as the audience sees fit. So let's jump back to the conversation. But I want to take this question from Dan over here too, um, because I feel like it's an interesting one. Um, it's kind of long, so I'm going to read it. But in most capitalist organizations, you have three organizational structures occurring simultaneously, formal hierarchy, informal relationships, and value creation. The formal hierarchy takes value from the delivery teams. The informal hierarchy provides the social glue enabling the organization. How do you reduce the formal hierarchy to allow the organization to maximize the realization of value? So really deep question here. I feel like Dan might be some sort of professor of some sort. Yeah, I, I thought we had a, a no, a no, a genius IQ level uh, I know, attendee right. policy here that to make us look like we're not as smart. Um. Right, right. But I just think that is a very interesting question because you know how do you? We kind of talked about the formal hierarchy, and sometimes they can be a huge barrier to digital transformation. When a lot of times we want to transition that to be more of an enabler um, and maximize yeah. that that realization of value. So I just thought I, we kind of speak to that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome question because uh, again, it's one of those questions where just the fact that the question is coming up is huge. I mean, the fact that someone's thinking about organizational design and how we structure our organization in the context of a discussion around digital transformation, it's almost counterintuitive. And a lot of organizations are like, you know, they. It, I, I imagine there might be people on this listening to this discussion right now. They're thinking, what does that have to do with digital transformation? You know, informal hierarchies that has nothing to do with digital transformation. Well, actually it does to Dan's point, it has a lot to do with it or it should have a lot to do with it. And whether you like it or not, it will have a lot to do with it. It's just a matter of whether or not you, you determine what, what impact it has on your business value creation or not. Um, but I think the key here, you know, I don't want to get into a whole lot of, um, you know, uh, generalizations about whether or not, you know, highly structured and more formal organizations are better or worse than the more informal, less structured organizations. But to Dan's point, you know, every organization has some formality, some informality, and then the, the value creation that, that comes with it as well. And so I think the key is, again, getting back to that future state, you know, when you're defining your vision for the project, and even before you start implementing solutions, you want to be thinking about this question. I mean, this is the kind of question you want to ask before you get into the design and testing of technology. You want to be thinking about this stuff like in your your evaluation, your strategy workshops or, or process and or your uh, implementation planning and readiness. You know, before the system integrator, or the technical resources start building stuff, figure this out because when you have to figure out that org structure and how people's jobs and roles and reporting relationships are all going to work together in conjunction with new processes and new technologies to create that business value. Um, and I think the other thing too, that you want to do in addition to just doing this, I, I think that's probably the simplest thing I could say is just do that. <laughs> you know, everything that Dan just asked, even though it's a, it's a very uh, important broad question and it may, and, and there's a lot uh, of details within that uh, uh, way you would do that, but you do want to just, just do it. I mean, or focus on it and get people's minds around this, this whole organizational um, design piece. So I think that's, that's the, probably the most important thing. Absolutely. Great question, Dan. Um, and if you are a professor, just let me know, cause I like to guess people's jobs. That's my favorite thing to do on the, 
the live stream. Um, but I, I will mention um, that when it comes to organizational design and kind of going through that, Teresa went through a lot of what those tactics are in her organizational change talk. We also had um, Jed Hafer, who's an emotional intelligence expert on um, after my culture keynote. So that was kind of a nice packaging to be able to talk about formal hierarchy has a place, um, but also kind of the perspective of the employee. And again, to our point, um, that why behind it. Um, and I thought that was a lot of, we had a lot of interesting questions about just overall team design and support design when it came to new technology initiatives. What if you have a toxic person on that team? And it made me realize we've never really talked about openly in our, um, our podcasts the methodology behind change management. And essentially, we don't ever go in the room to say, oh, you know, you're going to fire Eric and you're going to fire Kyler. That's never how we approach it. It's always discovering that why behind the resistance. So I think that that is just kind of going along with just that organizational structure and really digging up where there's going to be any barriers. Um, so great question, Dan. Yeah, and I'd add to that too, you know, the you, you, you get the occasional toxic, just flat out, resistor or sabotager if that's a word person that wants to sabotage the project um that's occasionally that occasionally happens but actually in some ways that's better because you at least see it it's obvious you can deal with it head on that's easier in many ways than the more widespread more common sort of uh unintentional resistance and what i mean by that is you know there's a difference between someone that just flat out does not like this idea of changing technologies or you know, I, I'm a Microsoft guy or gal and, you know, we're moving to SAP. I just don't like that. And so I'm going to dig in my heels and sort of uh, resist it. That, that's not that common. But what's the bigger risk is when, you know, on the surface, I, I'm excited about the project. I'm supportive. I'm behind it. Um, I'm going to support it until it gets to the point where it affects me. And I start to realize, wow, this is really going to, this is going to affect my role in some way and, and there's a perceived threat there so once i get that perceived threat I, I might have the best of intentions i'm not a toxic person but yet i'm still resisting change you know unintentionally below the surface below the radar that's the harder stuff to manage because it's more widespread and it's harder to see a lot of times people see the stuff on the surface which is oh eric's excited well yeah i'm excited for other people to change but when you tell me you're taking away my spreadsheet or my yeah you know, the value that you place on my tribal knowledge. Now I'm not quite as excited as I was, but I'm still excited for Kyler to change though. Kyler will, will yeah. really do well with these new tools. Um, but for me, I kind of need to stick to that spreadsheet because that's sort of the way I do things. So, you know, yeah. so it's easy to misinterpret that as being supportive when really I'm not being supportive. Really? Yeah. And and that's a great point in, in being able to address that head on, right? And create like you, you, Eric, created this amazing spreadsheet and this great process that you developed. And a lot of times that's true for our smaller businesses. And that is such an asset. And here's how you can continue to be an asset by leveraging the new technology that we're here to make your job easier. But that conversation has to happen, not that it can just be assumed that that person is gonna make that leap. Um, so a lot of times I think we can, we can see that through a lot of things like our culture and change assessments and then tweak the strategy. And I know you talk a lot about this for change management is there truly is no cookie cutter approach to change management. There's some great 
models out there, but each business is going to have their own unique change needs when it comes to addressing a new technology because they'll have their own unique culture as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a good question. Um, we have a question here from LinkedIn um, about digital transformations, kind of a good full circle question because we started to define it at the beginning. Um, so I think it's a good one to close out with from our audience questions. So I'm going to read it. Why is there sud suddenly this hype about digital transformation? Haven't we always been transforming and aren't we always going to be transforming? Those are mostly rhetorical questions. But how does it succeed with this digital improvement without getting caught up in the digital transformation hype and end up transforming for the sake of not being left behind instead of for really adding business value? Really good question. Yeah, it's an awesome question. It is a good way to bring it full circle back to the, you know, what is digital transformation question that we, we started this segment with. Um, but I'd say uh, I totally agree with Farhad. Uh, on LinkedIn, who, who made that comment in question, um, I'd say that it is a good point that you know there is all this hype around digital transformation, which is a you know I use it all the time. I and I'm I'm not a fan of buzzwords, but I'm just as guilty as anyone is using that term. That's an industry generated buzzword. That's you know it, what it the meaning to an organization and how it fits to your organization. That that's open to interpretation. Um, so you're right in one hand that you know there's nothing new here. You know, the technology is all new. Um, yes, there's cool new capabilities that can be enabled with some of these new technologies. But at the end of the day, we're to Farhat's point, yes, we're just changing. We're just trying to improve. And as a successful organization, we have to be changing. We have to be improving and looking for ways to be better. And digital transformation is just one part of that. Um, but I think, though, you know, there's some really good underlying questions or points here within the, her general comments here, which is that the... Um, you know, the, you 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 can't get caught up in the in the digital transformation hype. For example, we talked about cloud and how it's it's pretty mainstream now. But just because it's mainstream and just because everyone sort of, or just because a majority of organizations are starting to go that direction, doesn't mean it's right for you. It could be mean that it's right for you, but maybe not. And that's the way you have to look at any sort of technology. You know, when you think about artificial intelligence or machine learning or um, you know robotics, robotic process automation, whatever it is. You know, cool stuff, be aware of it, educate yourself, but there's such a thing as bleeding edge. It might be too early for you to use some of these technologies realistically within your organization. It might be something you look at on the horizon, you know, five years from now or seven years from now, um, but there might be more fundamental, higher value things you could be doing right now. So you have to look at that whole equation. And it's also it's also back to that whole business case and ROI and, and um, business metric discussion that we had earlier in the segment too. You have to know what those metrics are, where you expect to unlock and achieve the business value to know how technology can best help you get there. If you don't have those metrics and the business case is clearly defined, you're going to be a lot more likely or susceptible to fall into the trap of leverage or trying to leverage technology that isn't going to deliver value. It's just going to be a money pit or it's going to overcomplicate your business without delivering the expectations. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that, that comes from, you know, maybe a new C-suite men, member that's a you know a chief innovation officer that's talking about transformation and bringing in those experts that really can level set and almost navigate the conversation through the industry we talk to people like marcus harris who you know is actually an erp or or software attorney um and then third stage obviously comes in and kind of 
says, yes, digital transformation is great, but let's really unpack like what exactly we're talking about as far as um, an organization uh, and what that might mean. So great, again, great questions. And I want to thank all of our audience members. And just a reminder, we do this every Tuesday morning. So bring your questions. We always love to hear from you um, and address whatever conversations you're looking for as, as relevant content. Um, and thank you, Eric, for joining us today for another Q and A. Um, even though That's you right. already did a Q and A, so um, <laughs> right. Uh, so again, if you visit um, stratosphere2022.com, you can see all of the replays from our Stratosphere conference. It was a three-day conference. It was jam-packed full of not only um, technology insights but people and process as well. Um, so I highly recommend it. It is completely free and we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a good event. A lot of diverse speakers there. You know, you and I are on there. A few, well, you, you moderated the whole thing. So you're, you're all over the place. You can't on, get rid uh, of me. I was there the <laughs> whole time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I had a few sessions and other, we had what, maybe a dozen other speakers or so mm -hmm. um, throughout those three days. So really good stuff. So I, yeah, if, if encourage you to download or, or stream the, Stream the event. You can watch whichever ones you want uh, via recording just by registering at that website that, that Kyler mentioned. All right, some really good questions there. I appreciate everyone's help in providing some uh, really good questions and discussion points for us here. Um, what we're going to do after we take a quick break is we're going to shift gears a bit and move away from the Q&A format and actually go to one of the sessions that we presented at the Digital Stratosphere Conference at the early part of February. And it's going to actually be a session that I did on an executive summary of uh, digital transformation best practices. I should probably remember what my topic was, but uh, it seems so long ago now. Um, but as executive summary of digital transformation best practices, I'll play you that clip when we come back from a quick break. You are listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control episode number 56. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes every Wednesday of this show. And also be sure to check us out on social media. If you don't already follow us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, wherever you're uh, 
prefer to be on social media. We're constantly putting new content out there every day. In fact, uh, multiple times, multiple times a day. And what I thought we'd do here is uh, play you a clip from our Stratosphere 2022 event, which this is just one of, what is it, about 15 or 20 different sessions, Kyler, that we had over those three days? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, let's call it 18-ish sessions over three days. This is just one of them. If you want to see uh, all 17 other sessions that we're not going to play for you here today, be sure to go to stratosphere2022.com. You can register and get immediate access to all the recordings for all three days, but this will be the first session that you would see if you go access the recordings. And the reason um, I like to open the conferences with this presentation, I actually like to give this same presentation at other industry conferences too, because a lot of times companies and, and people that are embarking on a digital transformation, oftentimes they're just trying to figure out where to get started. And they're just trying to level set and just get their heads around what is digital transformation? What are some of the major things I should be thinking about? What are the major risks? And, you know, what sort of angle should I come at this transformation from? And so it's really meant to try and step away from all the buzz talk or all the buzzwords and industry trends and just really talk about more fundamentally, how do we figure out a digital transformation path that makes the most sense for us? And what are the things we should be aware of as we do that? So that's really the whole context of why uh, I like this presentation so much and why I deliver it to so many other conferences as well. So let's cut to that clip. I'll, I'll play you this uh this uh, clip from our first workshop at the Digital Stratosphere Conference. This is an executive overview of digital transformation best practices. What I wanted to do to start today's session and in today's series of speakers is to talk about an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. And this is actually a presentation and a discussion I often give to a client executive teams um, as a sort of expectation setting and a, and a sort of uh, backdrop setting exercise really just to get everyone on the same page with what digital transformation is and how does this apply to our business or our organization and ultimately how can we define a strategy and roadmap for us that makes the most sense given our unique circumstances whether it's our industry our strategic goals and objectives our you know macroeconomic trends we're trying to address whatever it is we want to make sure we have a, a clearly aligned and clearly articulated strategy and that's really the intent of what what uh, today's conversation is meant to cover so with that all being said, let me um, go ahead and share my screen here. All right. So as I mentioned, this is an executive summary of digital transformation best practices. Um, if we go to the next slide here, you can see um, one of the things I always like to start with is, and, and this was actually a question that came up in my presentation yesterday, uh, or one of the, I, it might've been in the Q&A at the end of the day, uh, the question came up of what is, what is digital transformation? What does the term mean? And, and how do you describe it? Um, what kind of technology does it entail? And if I were to simplify um, and maybe just summarize what digital transformation is, it's essentially any use of technology to improve your business. If I did in its simplest terms, that's the way I would describe it. It's, it's any any sort of technology that allows you to improve your business. And and along with the technology, obviously, there's the process improvements, the organizational uh, implications and whatnot. But in general, it can be any sort of technology. And a lot of times people will ask, you know, well, does that mean ERP, you know, enterprise resource planning software, or how does HCM or CRM fit into that? Or how does artificial intelligence fit into that? And I think with digital transformation, it's important to, at, at times, just sort of set aside the buzzwords, um, set aside all the um, industry trends and things of that nature. It's good to know, you know, as an input or good to have as an input, 
But at the end of the day, it's really about what technologies are best going to enable whatever goals you're trying to accomplish. And for some organizations, it could be, you know, a single standard ERP system that's going to drive a common operating model throughout the world, global operations, or for other organizations, it might be more of a best of breed approach where we're going to deploy different CRM and HR technologies and different financial systems to address our specific needs. Uh, for or other organizations, it might be more of a piecemeal, you know, very targeted uh, technolo technological approach. So it really does depend on what it is you're trying to accomplish. So whenever you hear the terms like Industry 4.0 and Internet of Things and AI and machine learning, it can be overwhelming. And it's important not to get too lost in those details or those uh, buzzwords and trends. Again, you want to understand them. You want to understand where technology is headed, but you also want to understand, more importantly, what it is you need because there's a lot of stuff out there in the marketplace. Honestly, most of it you probably don't need. There's probably just a handful of different types of technologies that will best enable whatever it is you're, you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, again, it's, it's really looking at your entire organization and the scope of your organization, what you're trying to accomplish, and then finding the technology that best fits that. Another question we often get sort of related to, to this previous slide is what is what is digital transformation in, in terms of how it compares to ERP implementations? And that's one of the biggest questions we get. And, you know, without getting too caught up in slicing hairs or, or specific nomenclature, I think the bigger thing here is to make sure that we, we have a, a good understanding of what it is we're trying to accomplish. So if, if we're looking to simply implement ERP, which is not simple, but if it's more of a focused specific technology that we're trying to roll out through the organization, it you can see how that more myopic or more focused approach differs a bit from um, some of the some of the um, other aspects or some of the different dimensions of, of transformation. So when we look at an overview of these different two different paths here, you have ERP implementations that are more focused on back office technologies. Usually it's one system that's sort of integrating your operations. With digital transformation, on the other hand, that's looking more broadly at technology, just technology in general. It's not honing in only on ERP or only on one sort of technology. It's looking at the entire landscape of the business and the landscape of potential technology options and ultimately figuring out where that technology best fits within your organization. Um, if we look at, um, if we could go back to that previous slide, please. Sorry. That's right. There's a, if we look at business process management too, and organizational change management, those two, uh, the third and fourth boxes there, you see that with ERP implementations, you're, it's more automation and enhancing your existing processes and training people how to use the technology and how to use that new system. If we take more of a digital transformation mindset, which is a bit more holistic and more open-minded, that's where we're looking at potentially more leaps, quantum leaps in technology. So rather than just upgrading our ERP system and creating more incremental improvements or creating some initial automation that didn't exist before, with digital transformation, we're looking at how could we leverage some more emerging technologies or very specific technologies that can help build capabilities that are going to give us a competitive advantage or sell more product, increase our revenue, um, you know, have have mass improvements to our productivity and our effectiveness. You know, it's, it's so it's more of a um, a broader jump, I guess I would say it's it's a more of a, a broader change to the organization. Whereas ERP implementations, which still are very big changes to most organizations. Um, it, it is still is a bit more incremental if you're just looking at one specific technology or, or an upgrade of one specific technology. And then when we look at business value, the overall transformation time and cost and the risk, 
you can see again that ERP implementations are typically more incremental improvements to business value. It's going to take you a certain amount of time to implement ERP systems. But when you're looking at a broader digital transformation, usually it's going to take you longer. It's probably going to cost you more. It's probably going to be a bit more painful and higher risk at times. But organizations that do that are doing that in the name of having higher business value and a higher overall, overall ROI. Now, this is not to say that digital transformation is better than having a more focused approach on ERP or CRM or HCM or whatever the technology might be. It's just to say that you, you do need to understand what it is you're trying to accomplish with your, with your transformation. And if you're more focused on a digital transformation, then you just know that you'll need to invest more time. It'll probably take longer. There's probably a bit more risk. It's probably a bit more disruptive in the short term because you're, you're asking the organization to change more, a bit more dramatically. And so think of it as a continuum, you know, maybe, you know, you want to look at where on that continuum or where on that spectrum you fall between more incremental ERP types of implementations versus a broader, more quantum leap digital transformation. And so when we look at um, some of the top challenges of digital transformations and what, what organizations struggle with, this is actually a, um, a graphic from our annual digital transformation report, which actually there's a if you're assuming you're watching it here on Crowdcast, you can, uh, there's a button right below my slides here that says download the 2021 transformation report. Um, you can actually get that entire report and all the research and best practices that come from it just by clicking the green button. Uh, it's a free download. So I encourage you to check it out. It's uh, we put a lot of uh, thought into that, that paper. Um, but in that research white paper, you'll see that there were uh, five top challenges that organizations specified as their biggest challenges and risks as they went through their transformation. So it's sort of a, a backward looking, you know, once the organizations were done with their implementations, as they looked back, what were those biggest challenges that they faced? And you can see that the, the number one challenge that people faced was, was organizational change in the people part of the transformation. So this gets back to Teresa's uh, presentation yesterday. If you didn't get a chance to see that, I highly encourage you to go check that out, uh, the recording of that session yesterday, because it does focus more exclusively um, on the people side of things. And I believe we're, we're going to touch on that again later today. And it's hard for us to present anything as a, as a company and as a team without touching on change management. So you'll get a lot of that throughout Stratosphere in addition to what you've already uh, received along those lines. But the key takeaway here is that change management is the number one concern and challenge that organizations have after they've gone through their transformation. And I, I made the comment before that it's, it's uh, I have yet to meet a, client that has told us, you know, we wish we wish we would have spent more time or spent less time on organizational change management. We just spent way too much on time on change management. We wish we would have spent more time on the technology. Um, I have yet to meet a client. I've never met a client or an organization or even a consultant or team member that's ever said that there's there is such a thing as investing too much in change management. Most organizations say we wish we would have spent a lot more on that. And this is true, by the way, even for organizations that hire us to do the change management, usually even then they still feel like there's more they could have done. And uh, they, you know, they, they sort of uh, feel like there's a lot that uh, they could still do to improve that piece. So change management, people side of the equation is number one. The number two challenge that organizations face in their transformations is misalignment with strategic objectives. And that's where you have this dynamic where the corporate or executive team and leadership is taking the direction a certain way, or they have a vision of a certain way they want to take the company, but the ERP project or digital transformation ends up going in a totally different direction. 
unintentionally, of course. It's not that people are intentionally trying to be misaligned, but it's because either the project has been delegated to a project team with very little direction, or the executives haven't done enough to clearly articulate what the goals and objectives are of the organization to then translate it into what that means to the digital transformation. Um, or it could be that at some point along the way during the transformation, the path of least resistance sort of overcomes the project and you end up going back to or reverting back to the way you're, you're most comfortable and the way things have always been, which is another way to create misalignment because that's typically not why organizations want to go through the transformation. They typically don't want to remain the same. They typically want to improve. But the path of least resistance is to stay the same. So those, all those things are, are sort of dynamics that uh, create or contribute to that uh, challenge. Um, number three is not managing the system integrators well. And that, that's a really big one. And that's a, a, a very common overlooked challenge that organizations face is that they don't manage their system integrator well. They hire the system integrator or their implementer or their VAR or their software vendor with the expectation that that third party is an expert in that technology and they therefore will be able to handle a project of this scope and magnitude. There's a couple of problems with that mindset, even though it's understandable why people think that. One problem is that the technology is just one, one work stream within an overall program or a digital transformation program. And so it's unrealistic to expect that your software vendor or your system integrator, your implementer is going to handle all those different pieces of a transformation. They're going to handle one work stream, um, but that's that's it. I mean, there's other things that need to happen. There's the architecture, the data migration, the integration, the change management, process improvement, the overall project governance and controls. It should really be you managing that, not your system integrator. Um, the second challenge that you see, especially if you're a larger organization and especially if you're working with a larger system integrator. But the second challenge is that you oftentimes get outnumbered and outgunned, for lack of a better word, by your system integrator. They, they have more people staffed on the project. They bring the army of consultants. Many of them, by the way, are straight off the school bus, straight out of college. So there's a lot of issues that come along with that. And there's a lack of transparency often that comes along with that. So this is all a reminder that you do have to view this as your project and you're the one that should set the tumble for the project. You can certainly take inputs from your system integrator. They'll have their proposed project plans or methodologies, their tool sets, but it's your job to validate that that all makes sense for your organization and push back where it doesn't. And it's also your job to wrap around the system integrator, all the other stuff that needs to happen and make sure you're managing that stuff because otherwise it's not going to get done or it's just going to get done very poorly. Um, so those are a few tidbits or, or tips on how to how to manage that challenge. Uh, the number four thing is the clarity of business processes is lacking. And that's a big challenge for organizations. They don't have a vision of what they want to be when they grow up. So what ends up happening is this dynamic of the technical implementer is on site or you know doing workshops with you. They're ready to start deploying technology. And there's a million different ways you can roll out technologies and the workflows within it. And if you don't have a clear understanding of what you want your processes to be, you're going to spend a lot of time spinning your wheels while the army of consultants is billing by the hour for you to figure out what it is you want to be. So you really do have to spend the time if you want to be effective and you want to manage your system integrator better and have a clearer vision for the project in general. You want to spend as much time as you can up front defining your business processes, especially in those competitive advantage types of areas and especially in those parts of your business that are very unique to you because it's a competitive differentiator or it's something unique to your industry, 
unique to the way you deliver to your customers, whatever the case may be. And with that, by the way, you know, one of the, the nuances or the challenges to be careful of is that most vendors and system integrators that I've seen in my career will suggest to their customers that you don't need to worry about your future state business processes. We have best practices. Our software has pre-configurations or industry best practices, whatever, whatever buzzword they want to use for it. And the reality is, is that just doesn't exist. It's, it's very rare that you find that pre-configurations or industry solutions or uh, commercial off-the-shelf standard best practices, it's very rare that they actually apply to any given organization. Now, it may be true for some of the more standard, more vanilla business processes uh, like accounts payable, GL, uh, maybe procurement and purchasing, things of that nature. But once you start getting into manufacturing and um, your customer service, the way you take orders, the way you interact with your customers, the way you manage your supply chain, chances are pretty slim that you're going to have best practices. It's typically going to be uh, a number of decisions that still need to be made to be able to configure the software. It's not like you can just flip a switch and the software works. There's a million questions that need to be answered as part of that, that design of the software. So if you don't have your processes defined, you spend a lot of time um, and a lot of money during the implementation doing something uh, that's, very, that's highly ineffective to do that late in the project. Um, and the other alternative is that when you don't have your business processes well-defined, you're going to have a bunch of consultants and technology type people making those decisions for you because they'll just configure the software the way they think it should be configured, um, which then contributes back to misalignment and some of the other problems we've, we've talked about here. And then finally, the number five, uh, the fifth thing on the top five reasons why uh, companies face challenges in these transformations is the, the fact that they had trouble with their data migration. And data migration is oftentimes viewed as sort of a, uh, uh, after afterthought. So it's uh, we, we see a lot of system integrators who either push that entire responsibility onto a client and the client doesn't know how to what to do to start cleaning up their data and how to map the data to the new system and how to migrate the data. But a lot of SOWs will will just push that responsibility onto the onto the customer. Um, the other challenge you have with with data is oftentimes system integrators, I don't want to say they don't care, but that's not really their job to, to migrate data. Their job is to deliver a system or a series of systems that can manage that data. So if your data isn't ready or the data is corrupt or you don't have the right data sources, that's not really, you know, it's not really their problem necessarily. It's something that you've got to figure out. So the, the sooner you can start that data migration in your process, and we typically advise clients to, and we help our clients to do that during the implementation readiness before even before your system integrator starts, oftentimes we're already working on the data piece of it to make sure we have a clear data management uh, strategy and plan. So those are the five big challenges that organizations face with, with their transformations. All right, we have a lot more content to cover in this presentation. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control, we'll continue this session uh, right after this quick break. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. 
If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. We're in the middle of a clip from Digital Stratosphere 2022 uh, presentation I gave about digital transformation best practices. So let's just cut back to the clip. So another consideration and another risk to think about with digital transformation is this whole notion of operational disruption. So often organizations get so myopically focused on what is this going to cost me, this implementation in the acquisition of software is going to cost me X, you know, X million dollars, whatever the number is. Um, and they don't consider and don't think about what is the real, what is the real total cost of ownership and what is the real cost to the organization? And what I mean by that is first of all, more often than not, organizations have unrealistic expectations for their actual implementation budget. They don't budget enough time and money and the system integrator underbids the project and underestimates and then they change order them to death. And so it ends up driving up your implementation cost. But that's actually not the biggest risk you have. But that's where most CFOs and COOs and executive teams are focused is let's make sure we manage that implementation cost. And that's important. You do want to do that. But the even bigger risk is what happens after you implement. And it's rare that organizations even think about what what is the risk or what is the cost to us if things don't go well? So for example, if we can't ship product for 30 days because the, the system failed to deliver and people aren't using the system the way it should be, and we just, for whatever reason, there's breakdowns at go live and now we can't ship product. What does that cost us? And you do want to put a price tag around this stuff because what it is, is essentially risk. I mean, that's the risk of, of a, a botched project is that you can't, if you can't ship product for 30 days, as an example, what is that cost in terms of your lost revenue, your lost profit, your deferred revenue, your deferred profit, uh, the morale impact that that has on your employees? You have to quantify all those costs because what you see here that the second um, the second uh, blue box on the left side of the screen here it, it shows you that the initial um, or, or the the impact of operational disruption can be anywhere from fifty percent to three hundred percent of the total budget. So in other words. If your budget was $10 million to implement, and that's what you're going to spend on the implementation, the average organization could have anywhere from, from uh, 5 million to 30 million of, of operational disruption costs. And so those costs can actually dwarf the cost of the implementation. And by the way, I, I skipped an important point, which is the first blue box at the top, which is that over 50% of organizations typically experience some sort of operational or, or material operational disruption at the time of go live. And what I mean by material disruption is not just, it was a little bit awkward, is a little bit uncomfortable. We were a little bit less productive because every organization has that problem. This means that we had some major breakdown at the time of go live in terms of not being able to ship product, not being able to, to uh, process customer orders, not being able to close the books, something along those lines that in most cases would be deemed unacceptable. And so it's amazing that still over 50% of organizations spend all this time and money on their implementations and end up with these unacceptable results. So the key here is to do a lot of the things that I talked about on the previous slide and some of the, 
you know, best practices that are being shared by all of the speakers throughout this event. Um, that's one thing, but also it's important to really understand the trade-offs you make in the implementation and how that affects the bigger cost or the biggest risk of additional cost. So for example, I'll give you a real simple example that ties back to, to Teresa's presentation yesterday. She talked a lot about change management. Um, and one of the questions we often get is how much of our budget should we spend on change management? Well, you know, you could in theory say spend a million dollars on change management. On paper, you could save a million dollars by cutting change management. That's one way to save a million dollars on in this example. And so oftentimes exec executives will look at that and say, well, let's save a million dollars. Then why spend the million dollars if we don't need to? Well, you could do that. But what does that mean to the adoption into the overall organizational change? And what does that mean to the go live and the disruption that's going to have? So in other words, it could be that you saved a million dollars over here in implementation, but now you've created multi-million dollar problems at the time of go live because you can't ship product. And so you can't look at it myopically, just one side of the equation. You have to look at what are we investing uh, in terms of time, cost and resources on the implementation and what is the impact on go live? And that's a, that's a trade-off for a full big picture view that, that a lot of uh, organizations, if not most organizations and consultants, by the way, typically don't consider. And so that's something that needs to be considered as you, as you think through this, is how can we ensure that we get through this project, not only in a way that's, you know, efficient and effective on time on budget, but also one that doesn't disrupt our business and one that allows us to ensure that we mitigate the risks um, along the way during that, during that transformation. So, some of the keys then to digital transformation success, then, you know, we've talked about where some of the challenges are, but now if we, we sort of um, back up a little bit and say, well, how do we avoid these problems? I mean, no one, I don't think anyone on this call or in, in this event will want their transformation to look like what, you know, I've just described here with the, uh, the challenges and some of the operational disruptions. So what do we do? How can we, you know, can, can we avoid those problems? is a big question. And it, the answer is a resounding yes, you, they can be avoided and they are fairly predictable. You know, the, the things that organizations do to create a lot of the problems that I just described are, are pretty predictable. On the flip side of the equation, the things that make projects successful are fairly predictable. It's not it's not a surprise. In other words, it's usually um, when you see a failed project or a successful project, it's usually, you know, if you look at what they did, and what the organizations focused on and how they prioritized and the leadership behind it, um, the decisions behind it, how they manage their system integrator, all that stuff. It's pretty, it's a pretty common pattern in both buckets, the failures and the successes, you know, each one has different patterns, but they're very consistent within that bucket. So one of the, one of the first things to remember is that the failure can be avoided. So it, it's not just uh, that these failures happen. It's not just bad luck. Um, a lot of times the organizations themselves feel as though they're sort of deer in the headlights. You know, they don't know what just happened to them. They don't know what's happening to them as it's happening. Uh, but it's not luck. There's something behind it that's very consistent and predictable and why those failures are, why those projects are failing. And so there are technology agnostic best practices that help avoid these sorts of failures. Um, one of the biggest things that, that I constantly repeat if you watch my videos read my blogs or podcasts or anything like that i constantly repeat that you know bias in the industry is one of the biggest problems with transformations and the bias comes from vendors it comes from consultants that are focused on one technology it comes from the blind spots in the industry it comes from the the monetary and economic incentives to sell more software 
there's a ton of bias in this industry, which is why I started third stage because I, I didn't like that there was so much bias and I was part of that bias when I you know, started my career. So I wanted to create a company that was sort of the opposite of that, that, that was unbiased, that didn't represent vendor best interest, but represented client best interest. And the reason that's so important is you do need to focus more on yourself and your business, your strategy and goals and objectives, and less on the software vendors and what they think you should do. Because again, their, their job is to sell you software and to be agnostic and independent is one of the best ways you can you can mitigate some of those some of those risks. And then the last thing on the slide I'll mention is is a final point is that you don't want to settle for mediocre results. I mean, a lot of organizations are just glad to be in business after they get through a transformation. They're they're just glad they didn't have a complete unmitigated disaster. Um, that's a pretty low bar to set, and you should really be aiming to not just not fail, but why why are you going through this project in the first place you're not doing it to not fail you're, you should be doing it to transform your business improve your business make it more ready for the 2020s and the 2030s um you know make your employees more happy to be there provide better service to your customers all that stuff so that should be where your mind should be not on let's not screw this up because if your focus is on not screwing it up you're probably going to fall a bit short of that goal whatever goal you set you'll probably fall a bit short because these projects are hard so you don't want to set the bar that low um, and if you're focused on not failing, it creates this defensive, um, this defensive mindset and this defensive decision-making process that usually ironically leads to more likelihood of failure. So for example, if I'm so focused on not failing or not blowing my budget, I'm probably going to make some bad short-sighted decisions like let's cut change management because that's going to save us a bunch of money. Um, that would be an example of how I might make a decision if I'm just trying not to fail. Although the irony of that is if you really don't want to fail, you should probably invest more in change management. So that sort of decision-making is, is very difficult for organizations. But the key here is that uh, the failure can uh, certainly be avoided. So the next takeaway here in terms of what some of these best practices are for a successful transformation is to start with a clear digital strategy. Make sure you have a clear vision and that you've articulated and translated the vision into what the transformation means and what the project governance behind that transformation is so that you have that clear vision of where you're headed and, and what you want to be when you grow up. One of the biggest challenges we see with organizations is um, it's almost like a uh, if you think if you think of a um, not a bell curve, but think of a graph that maps out the, the morale and excitement and the momentum you have on a project like this. Usually it's pretty, you know, it's pretty moderate. Let's just say when you first start the initial exploration of new technologies, but as you get momentum in that project and the, you know, the executive team and the board approves the budget to go evaluate potential systems and they create that internal alignment and focus on we're going to move forward with a new system replacement or digital transformation. What ends up happening is you create excitement and momentum and people get really excited and then they start to see the technologies and the possibilities that could be within their organization. And they get really excited and momentum's high, morale's high, right as you're selecting new software and you're getting ready to start the implementation. Unfortunately, that momentum peaks right there, right at the point where you decide on new technology and you get approval to move forward, you mobilize a team, everyone's excited. The minute you start facing headwinds and start stepping in landmines, the morale starts to drop, the excitement and momentum drops from its, from its peak. And the reason I bring up this dynamic is it's at that point, at that peak point is where a lot of organizations make bad decisions because they're so blinded by the optimism and the excitement 
that they don't think about, you know, hey, maybe we should slow things down a bit and make sure we have a clear strategy and plan. And mo we've mobilized our resources, we've defined our business processes, and we started to take a look at our data. We've, we've, uh, we have a we have a clear data migration strategy. We have an organizational assessment and organizational change strategy to address the unique organizational challenges that we're going to face during this transformation. They don't take take the time to do all that stuff because they want to jump in and start implementing stuff because they're so excited. And and then the the vendors and the system integrators add fuel to that situation by saying, "Yeah, close the deal today, and I'll give you a special deal that is a once in a lifetime deal." And you therefore sign the contracts, and all of a sudden you've got. A million people not a million but you've got an army of consultants and a bunch of software that you're paying for starting on day one and then it creates this this whole domino effect now a ripple effect of rushing um, towards an unclear goal and strategy so you really want to make sure you've got that long-term strategy the alignment and that any decision you make along the way should be aligned with those longer-term goals and objectives and the, the blueprint and the parameters that you've defined before you've ever started deploying technology all right, we have a lot more content to cover in this presentation. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control, we'll continue this session uh, right after this quick break. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. We're in the middle of a clip from Digital Stratosphere 2022, a presentation I gave about digital transformation best practices. So let's just cut back to the clip. The other um, takeaway too, the other sort of best practice, uh, as, as I call them here, is to, to let business drive the technology. Don't let the technology drive the business. Now, technology is certainly going to provide you tools and capabilities that you don't have today, for sure. So, of course, the technology is going to bring you things that you, you can't do today or it's very difficult to do today. But at the end of the day, your business and your business needs should drive the technology. It should be all about your strategy, your goals, objectives, what you're trying to do operationally, strategically, what sort of customer experience you're trying to enable, what kind of employee experience you're trying to enable, what kind of business value and ROI you're trying to create as an organization that should all drive the technology deployment. Unfortunately, most organizations flip that and they focus so much on the technology. And then the vendors, of course, are focused on the technology because that's what they do. And so you've got all these people focused on technology, but not the business. And so you, you really have to flip the script on that and focus more on the business. Let the, let the dog wag the tail instead of the tail wagging the dog. And it's important to remember that it's not an IT project, even if your CIO is the executive sponsor, or even if your IT team is heavily involved, which they should be in the project, um, it's not them that's leading. It shouldn't be them that's leading. It should be a business-driven initiative that focuses on business operations, strategy, business value, and the people, et cetera. 
Um, also, same with business process improvements. I mentioned before that the whole concept of software best practices and pre-configurations is a myth. It doesn't, they don't exist in terms of effective use. Um, they do exist and it's a great selling point. It's a great marketing message for vendors and you can occasionally use them to your benefit, but more often than not, it's, it's a misleading uh, myth that it just doesn't add material value to a project. So you want to make sure that you do have, you know, business process improvements defined up front that then you're going to use to, uh, technology to help enable. Um, it's, it's backwards to, it may seem counterintuitive to some, but it is backwards to assume that we're just going to deploy technology and the technology will, will give us the answer for what our process improvements are going to be. If you take that mindset, then what's going to happen is, again, the path of least resistance, the organization is going to deploy technology the way they've always used technology because that's what they know and that's what they want. That's why you need a clear vision, a clear roadmap, a clear blueprint for what you want in terms of process improvements and the operational model going forward. And then finally, your, your uh, transformation should be closely aligned with measurable strategic goals. And sounds simple enough, but you, it's, a, it's a common trap that organizations fall into that they get so enamored by technology, but they can't necessarily articulate how that technology is going to drive measurable strategic goals and objectives. And if you can't connect the dots, then that's probably a good indicator that maybe you should think about not buying that technology or not deploying that technology. And so you want to make sure that you don't get too caught up again in all the buzzwords and hype around AI and predictive analytics and machine learning. That stuff's great, but it may or may not add value to your business. And so that's really the key is to understand where is this technology going to add value to our business? And if it doesn't, Maybe we don't deploy that technology, or maybe we look at a third party bolt on for that part of the business, or maybe we just focus on improving the processes and standardizing some ways we do things and leveraging the technology we already have. That That's okay too. So it's a, it's a matter of really having a clear vision of how the business will drive the technology and not the other way around. And another root cause of a, of a lot of failure points and a lot of mistakes that happen in a project uh, is this concept of unrealistic expectations. So Oftentimes when that, that peak momentum point happens, which I talked about earlier, that peak momentum happens, we have pretty unrealistic expectations at that point. As humans, when we're excited, momentum's high, we see a vision for the future, um, it doesn't seem that difficult. You know, it feels like it, it, we're all ready, right? We're ready to move forward. We found our software, we're about to sign a contract um, that the vendor's promising us the world. They've told us we can implement this project, say in 18 months, um, yeah, let's go, let's go forward. And so you end up with this mindset that everything's great, everything's perfect. And you get into the project and realize it's not, there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of headwinds. There's a lot of risk, a lot of things that you don't know when the peak, uh, excitement is there. So you want to be sure that you have a, a dose of healthy skepticism to make sure you have realistic expectations because you, you want to understand what the risks are. Um, even at that time of a peak excitement in a project, you still need to be thinking about, well, where are the risks? Okay. Because this is, this is exciting, right? But there are risks out there on the battlefield that we're about to enter. Let's go find where those landmines or risks are rather than assume they're not there because we can't see them. They're there. We just need to find them so we don't step on them. So, and we can do that by the way, in a way that's not demoralizing. Um, in fact, it's, it should be more empowering and more exciting to know that, Hey, I see what's out there and I know what I'm about to do rather than this sort of a, a blind fog that, that we might be walking into. So making sure we've got those realistic expectations is critical. Um, that misalignment oftentimes 
with the misalignment around expectations often leads to rash and bad decisions. Um, again, if we, if we don't, um, if we have unrealistic expectations, what ends up happening is because we think this implementation is going to take 18 months, which let's just say for hypothetical purposes, it was never going to be 18 months. It's more like 36 months, but I'm being told it's 18 months. I'm creating a, all these parameters, these false parameters around an 18 month project. And I'm going to get at some point into that project and realize, wow, there's no way we're going to do this in 18 months. So therefore I need to cut scope. I need to cut change management from the, the schedule. I can't worry about data migration now. I'm just going to have to you know, start over with new data, whatever. I'm just giving some examples here. But those sorts of decisions end up being bad decisions that you end up having to make because you had unrealistic expectations. So that's why it's so important to make sure you have those expectations aligned and clear and realistic up front. And you also want to make sure that you understand the risk with time, cost, and resources. And as I mentioned, you want to make sure you have some professional skepticism uh, with your vendor. The point of this, um, this thought here is that your implementation process and the time and resources and money invest in your implementation should far exceed the time and money you invest in the software evaluation and selection. A lot of times organizations get caught up in sort of an analysis paralysis cycle. They, they, uh, on one hand, you want to give them kudos because they're being very thorough in their evaluation and they're making sure that they find the right software, which is great. But on the other hand, no technology is perfect. And the more, the more you analyze any product that's out there, any system or any technology that you might want to deploy, you're going to find problems with it, things that don't match exactly what you need. And that's okay. You, you want to know what those are, but you also don't want to get so hung up that you can't make a decision because you can't find that that unicorn or that rainbow of perfect software that doesn't exist. So it's one way to look at this is you don't want to rush the selection process. You want to be thorough. You want to make sure you find the right technology, but at some point you get a point of diminishing returns. You're, you're overthinking it. You're spending too much time and money on the selection. And the way you have to look at this is resources are limited. Every time or every hour of time and every dollar of budget you spend, on the selection process is one less hour and one less dollar you can spend on the implementation. So the faster you can get to a good decision means that you can spend more time and money on the implementation, which is where the real challenge and where the real um, potential success comes from. So you wanna make sure you've got that, that selection uh, done in an objective, effective, fast way. And that's just as an example of a way we help our clients do that is we have a, a database that has 30,000 business requirements against close to a thousand different systems um, in the marketplace. And so we can go and pull up any of those requirements to see which systems best handle those requirements. And it's a good objective way to provide objective data that sort of counterbalances the bias data you're going to get from your vendors and the demos and the RFP process. But it also uh, speeds things up too. You know, it's going to make us help us get to that short list and help us get to a decision faster because we have that tool set supporting us. So that's just one example of how you can be effective, speed things up and focus more on the implementation. And you, you really want to make sure of, of consulting firms or project teams that drag out the selection process, either because they don't know what they're doing and they don't know enough about the different systems in the market. Um, or it could be that that's, you know, if it's a, a software selection firm, it maybe that's how they make their money. So they want to spend more time and money on it. So um, you, you just be leery of all that. You want to make sure that you've got a, a realistic and aggressive but effective uh, selection process so that you can spend more time on the implementation. All right, we have a lot more content to cover in this presentation. We're gonna take a quick break and when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control, we'll continue 
this session uh, right after this quick break. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. We're in the middle of a clip from Digital Stratosphere 2022. Uh, presentation I gave about digital transformation best practices. So let's just cut back to the clip. And then a, a, a sixth thing here is to know that there are no silver bullets. So you have to be aware of the industry hype and all the best practices and industry pre-configurations and the, the, uh, the hype around the cloud and how easy it is to deploy how cloud technologies. Just be aware that there's a lot of silver bullets out there. There's always going to be, there always has been. Um, that's how vendors sell, right? They, they create hype and they, they perpetuate that hype by not only selling their software, but also hiring industry analysts to put out reports that are telling you the same thing, which is technology is great. And these are the silver bullets. You know, some of the common things, you, you, some of the most common areas of hype right now in, in the industry are certainly cloud is one. And it's not to say that people shouldn't be moving to the cloud, but it's, it's to say that if you're moving to the cloud, just know that there, it's not a silver bullet it doesn't make your implementation easier. It's just not going to make it easier. You still have to change your processes. You still have to change your people. You still struggle with all the failure points or the risk points that I've already talked about. None of that stuff goes away as a result of cloud. So you just have to be aware that cloud is, is a silver bullet. Another example is agile. You know, a lot of times now, um, I think what the software vendors and system integrators are doing is they're sort of piggybacking on this um, lean startup trend, I guess you call it, and in agile movements within the software development space they're kind of piggybacking on those trends to to address a perceived problem in the industry, which is implementations take too long and take too much money. So what they're doing is they're saying, well, let's call it an agile approach. Then we'll be agile in our in our implementations. Well, that's great. It sounds good. But it, just because you're going faster in the wrong direction doesn't mean that's the right answer. So you just want to be be uh, aware of. And again, back to that skepticism, make sure you understand what some of those challenges are. Um, and I, I mentioned, uh, you know, anything that has to do with cookie cutter or fix all strategies you want to be, be leery of whenever a vendor is telling you that this solves all your problems because it, it's not going to solve them all. And the key takeaway here is that last bullet, which is that transformations are hard. So whether you're using an agile approach or deploying cloud technologies or uh, pre-configured industry solutions, okay, maybe there's some benefit to that stuff. But at the end of the day, this is hard work. You've got to roll up your sleeves, change your processes, change your people figure out how your systems and data are going to tie together. There's a lot of risk associated with a project like this. So none of that stuff goes away. You still have to do all that. So that's the risk of silver bullets is it creates this false expectation that things are going to be easier than they really are. And then the seventh thing is to control the tempo of the project. And I mentioned this earlier, that it's your project. 
you don't want to be rushed prematurely into implementation just because you're getting a, a once in a lifetime deal on software licenses or software subscriptions, um, which by the way, uh, those once in a lifetime deals typically are honored at any point you're ready to buy software. So don't fall for that. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why organizations rush and it's, it's, it's important to remember that it's, it's always better. It's cheaper and faster to implement right the first time. It's a lot more expensive when you have to redo it or have two or three tries at this. You might as well spend less time and money on the overall project by doing it right the first time. And again, you can look at a budget on paper and see that it shows a number, but oftentimes that number is not realistic. It's, it's actually going to balloon to say double that. So then that begs the question of, okay, instead of doubling an unrealistic number, what if we take that unrealistic number, make it realistic? Maybe we add 20% or whatever the number is to the time and budget, but that ensures that we have more likelihood of success. So you want to get it right the first time. And you also want to, um, you know, address conflicting priorities and understand that if you are going through a massive amount of change as an organization and a software vendor is coming in telling you they can implement in six months or 12 months or 18 months or some unrealistic number, you have to understand that, well, maybe we push back and say, well, let's not make it a 12 month project. Let's make it a 24 month project to account for the fact that we have competing priorities. We're going through a lot of changes in organization and maybe we're risk adverse. We just move slowly as an organization that it's not the time, you know, it's not the time to decide you're going to be a fast moving, aggressive organization. If you're not doing a big implementation or transformation is not the time to make that decision and then assume that you're just going to be more aggressive or change your culture overnight because you're not going to. And you're also not going to change those competing priorities unless you have clear commitment from your leadership team to stop other initiatives that are conflicting with that. So you just want to be realistic about the landscape, the culture, who you are, and, and let that drive the tempo of your project, not the not the uh, software vendors or, or system integrators. So all this, this is all transformation. It all takes time. And then finally, last but not least, in fact, I'd say most importantly, change management. The, the organizations that fail, and, and when I say fail, I'm, I'm referring to projects that clients have helped us or, or hired us to come recover because they failed with themselves or with another consulting firm, or in cases where an attorney hires us, like Marcus Harris, who you'll hear from later today, an attorney like Marcus hires us to be an expert witness in a failed lawsuit or a failed project that has led to lawsuit. What we find in all those cases, every single instance, is that change management wasn't addressed properly. There was a under focus, lack of focus on change management, but yet this people component is the most important. So it is very safe to say, and I'm very skeptical of any sort of universal um, one size fits all sorts of solutions or answers with the exception of the fact of that se second bullet, which is that your project will fail without change management. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a high growth startup type of company, or if you're a mature multi-billion dollar global organization, no matter who you are, you're, the project is going to fail if you don't address change management well. Every organization is full of people that are, that are imperfect. Every organization has a culture that is going to be disrupted by this project. Every organization has its own business processes and systems that are going to be disrupted by this project. All that means that you need change management. If without it, you're going to fail. And that typically goes well beyond training and communications. Um, that includes things that uh, I've included examples of here, organizational design, defining what job roles and responsibilities are gonna look like going forward, uh, business readiness, the change impact, understanding how different departments and individuals are affected by the changes and then ultimately helping them through those changes. 
uh, benefits realization, the communications, the uh, executive alignment. Those are all examples, just a few examples of areas where change management uh, can help enable uh, some of these, these process improvements or, or help enable a more effective transformation. And, and one of the, um, another thing, if you're interested in more about change management, in addition to listening to Teresa's, Teresa Richardson's presentation from yesterday about change management, I also encourage you to download our change management guide, um, which you can find on our website. If you just go to um, thirdstage-consulting.com, go to the resource center, you'll find a guide to change management that you can download that has a bunch of, it elaborates a lot more on a, a lot of the stuff on this slide here. So those are a few of the things that, uh, you know, eight things that are critical to any uh, transformation. And it's really the ways to uh, avoid failure and uh, address some of the, the risks that we've talked about. Um, as always, the previous slide shows our, our different offices and contact information. If you'd like to reach out to any of our team members um, at any of the four uh, regional offices internationally that, that we have, that's that's the contact information. You can always email us at info at thirdstage-consulting.com. And then on this last slide, I'll, I'll include all my social media stuff. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and talk a little bit more about some of the findings and next steps from that discussion that we just played for you from Stratosphere 2022. In fact, if you want to download that presentation and or any of the other presentations that we had or featured at that conference, I encourage you to check out stratosphere2022.com to access all the content. But uh, in the meantime, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 56. I'm here with Kyler. We're talking about uh, some of these sessions and questions and answers we just had from Digital Stratosphere. Obviously, we can spend a long time and we have spent a, lo a lot of time talking about some of the things that we learned and some of the takeaways and some of the actual sessions from Stratosphere. But what, what were some of your takeaways from the event now that we've had a, a few weeks to digest and absorb everything that happened that week? Yeah, well, to focus specifically on your executive summary presentation. I always like that because our biggest question is kind of what is digital transformation? What does that mean exactly? Which we discussed earlier in our Q&A and that physical tangible asset of just showing the digital strategy flow chart, which showcases all of the buckets and tactics that go into a digital strategy. So I just love that visualization and it's a great kind of launch pad to showcase all of our actual definitions of digital strategy. Um, so that's a, a great piece. I think some of the highlights I certainly took away is we had 
um, Clifford Martin, who's our new head of our Africa office at Third Stage Africa, talking about emerging markets and some of our, our business business um, development over there and our new client community, which is very exciting and, and definitely something that we enjoyed seeing so many of our um, audience members from Africa that really kind of taught us a lot. And it was great to see some dialogue between them. Um, Teresa Richardson talked a lot about change management and she's you know such a great business coach that I highly recommend that. Um, Christy Barber and Amanda Patton talked about kind of the mid market uh, and then also small business. And I think they, they showcased a lot of tactics and pain points that small businesses are really going through right now and how to be able to kind of overcome them. Um, we also had a, a lot of supply chain content, a lot of cybersecurity and data management from our director of strategy and T transformation, Khalid Morris. Um, and then just, you know, a, a lot of great guests as well. We always love having Marcus Harris, who has been on this show multiple times, who talked a lot about contracting and, and took a lot of questions there. Um, and then also we had Brad Feeks, who is a, a cloud specialist who talked about cloud migration strategies, lift and shifts versus build from scratch. And then we also had Jed Hafer, which was a, a great guest and I really enjoyed co-presenting with him um, in just talking about emotional intelligence and really how it does relate to the overall ROI and success of any technology implementation. Um, so those are just a few kind of to name um, some highlights, but like Eric said, if you go to stratosphere2022.com, you can still view all of the content. Um, it's now available there. It will go out on our YouTube channel as well um, once we splice it up into sections. And then I also encourage anyone that wants to hear from more of these stakeholders to subscribe to our Digital Stratosphere podcast because I interview each Wednesday all of these stakeholders in a different format. Um, for an example of that, I provided Mitch Audison, who's a manager here at Third Stage, he talked about a target operating model and, and laying that out in for some of our, our, our different clients that we work with. He also took that in a podcast format. So a lot of the times, if you heard something you liked on one of those sessions, there's an avenue, a digital pathway to consume more of that content. So highly recommend um, going out over there and checking it out, registering completely free, uh, and then mostly letting us know what you think. I put and the last comment on the Stratosphere chat, I put my personal email address here at Third Stage. So I'd love to hear what you thought um, and then you know how we can continue to improve the event. But overall, it was such an amazing snapshot of just the diversity of not only the Third Stage community, but our, our partner network as well. Yeah, and the, you know, the audience members that join, and, and I think we picked up on this a little bit in our Q&A session earlier in this episode, but the people had just such good questions and it was so interactive. I always learn probably just as much from listening to the questions and the discussion coming from the audience as I do from the, the other speakers. And so it's just a great wealth of knowledge, different perspectives, different questions and uh, pitfalls and rabbit holes and things that, you know, nooks and crannies of digital transformation that are worth exploring. And it's impossible to cover it all in three days, but I think we do a pretty good job of covering a pretty wide range of, of stuff there. Absolutely. We always learn a lot from our guests and audience members. Um, and also, it's it's nice to have someone that kind of empathizes with an experience that you might be going to 
going through, excuse me, and then you can reach out and network with them as well. So definitely that peer networking opportunity is a huge part of the event. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So be sure to check out stratosphere2022.com. Even if you just listen to my session here on this podcast, if you're listening to one of the audio podcast platforms, you obviously can't see the visuals that go along with it. So you can also check it out um, for that reason too, uh, even if you just want to see my session again and or all the other sessions that, that Kyler just mentioned. So uh, good stuff, really good uh, event and um, hope to get more of you to check that out and hopefully you get some good value out of it as you, as you do listen to it. So I want to thank you, Kyler, for bringing all these good questions back from the event and uh, you know some of the, the follow-up conversation we've had as a result of that. So thanks for, for being here again, as always. And thank you to the audience here for asking great questions and being a part of this uh, transformation ground control community and the third stage consulting community. I really appreciate all, all you do to support us on this podcast and other content we put out. So thanks very much, everyone, for your time. You can find us again here on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, as well as all the audio podcast platforms next Wednesday and every Wednesday with new episodes. Be sure to check us out there and be sure to follow us on social media as well for more content, blogs, and all that other stuff. So have a great rest of your have a great rest of your week, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Transformation Ground Control. Mm-hmm.